This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Moody Publishers. Do you long for a close community? Do you feel lonely or isolated or that fellowship with other Christians should be easier and go deeper? In his new book, Dearly Beloved, pastor, author, and TGC council member Vermin Pierre examines Christ's love for his bride, the church, and aims to help readers understand and develop true fellowship with those around them. Learn how to love others well, practice presence, and develop unity in the church when you purchase your copy of Dearly Beloved by Vermin Pierre, now available at moodypublishers.com. This episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast is sponsored by the Graduate School at Cedarville University. Advance your gifts in ministry, healthcare, or business through Cedarville's online and residential graduate programs. Become fully prepared for his purpose. Visit cedarville.edu slash gospelcoalition today. This is the Gospel Coalition podcast, where we seek to renew the contemporary church in the ancient gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Colin Hansen. David Platt knew something needed to change. He couldn't see the things he saw in the Himalayas and return home the same man. His trip to the top of the world brought him face to face with the harshest physical and spiritual realities on earth. Children died of treatable diseases. Christians were stoned for their faith and tossed off mountain cliffs. Bodies were hacked to pieces and fed to animals. The trip taxed David physically, emotionally, and especially spiritually as he wondered, where is God here in this tragedy and idolatry? He writes about this trip and shares his journal reflections in a new book, Something Needs to Change, a call to make your life count in a world of urgent need, published by Multnomah. We'd also love at the Gospel Coalition for you to join David and TGC for a live simulcast on September 18th, where he's going to be talking more about this book and about this trip and his reflections. You can visit tgc.org slash something needs to change to join us there on September 18th. David is lead pastor at McLean Bible Church in Virginia, former president of the International Mission Board and a council member for the Gospel Coalition. In this book, you'll see a lot of the same characteristic urgency and passion that you saw in his best-selling book, Radical. David, thank you for joining me again on the Gospel Coalition podcast. Great to be back, Colin. Let's just start, David, with the obvious question. What needs to change? Mm. <laughs> well, uh, so got a couple hundred pages in a book that are written about that. To summarize, I would say there's a lot that needs to change in the world. Um, you mentioned just some of the, uh, and, and the reason this book revolves around some of the needs, the reason this book revolves around hiking through the Himalayas, like out of all the places I've traveled in the world, this represents like the clearest, the only way I can describe it is a collision of urgent spiritual and physical need. Um, so what needs to change like physically, 
there are people in those mountains. I mean, they did research uh, year, a few years ago, and they found that half the children were dying before their eighth birthday in these mountains. And uh, so I, I have four kids, another one uh, on the way, Lord willing. But one of my worst fears is something happening to one of them. I can't imagine that being an expectation for half of them. So, uh, and they're dying, as you mentioned, of preventable diseases. So that that needs to change. And uh, and and there's a variety of different other things that could go to that flow from that. Just the uh, byproduct of poverty and trafficking uh, of young girls like that needs to change. So I could go on and on and on uh, there. And then the reality that most if not all the people in these mountains have little to no knowledge of Jesus, like kind of thing where I'm walking on a trail and I see someone and ask them what they know about Jesus. And they say, who's that? And they've, they've never even heard his name. It's like you're talking about somebody in a village nearby that they haven't met yet. Uh, so, that needs to change like they need to hear the good news of god's grace in jesus and so there's a lot and so that's just one picture in one remote part of the world that represents urgent need uh in so many different places including right around us uh so that needs to change but i think something needs to change in our own hearts uh to open our eyes and uh, open up our lives to how God has uniquely designed, created each one of us to affect change with his grace for his glory in a world of urgent need. So when I, my first trip coming down out of these mountains and, uh, yeah, I do three or four trips a year overseas, but, uh, my first time here, like the Lord just did an unusual work in my heart. And I remember we were sitting in the airport getting ready to leave. And one of the pastors who was with me said, David, what's your takeaway from these, this last week or so? And I said, something needs to change like in, in my art, my life, my family, in our church. Uh, and then that, that led to a, a, a whole, yeah, that's a whole other story, just a journey from there of what that change, uh, looked like in my own life. But I, I think, I think that that's not just a reality for my own heart. So there's a lot that needs to change in a world of urgent need. And there's some things that need to change in our own hearts to open us up uh, to how God wants to use us to affect change in a world of urgent need. One of the things that really stands out about this book, David, is how transparent and open you are processing through your relationship with God, through your theology, about your own calling, about your own family. Um, it really is a window into what you were experiencing and feeling and how you were wrestling with God during that time. And one of the themes that comes up is your just thinking through the implications, the reality of our belief in God's sovereignty. In some ways, some people might describe that as a problem when you consider what you saw that you have to filter through God's sovereignty to understand as things that he would have permitted yeah. or allowed. How did you, did you, did you come to any resolutions there? Or, or how did you just think about that between what you knew and what you read in the scriptures and what you were seeing and experiencing? Uh, that, that is uh, kind of the wrestling that I want to be yeah, pretty transparent and vulnerable uh, about uh, 
through this book. So I, uh, I just open up my journals um, and and just really honest, try to be honest with the questions that I do wrestle with that are, I think, inevitable when you're seeing physical and spiritual suffering uh, around you and you and you know, you know, God's truth, God's word. I, I believe wholeheartedly in what the Bible teaches about the sovereignty of God, not just believe in it. I, I rest in it. I uh, worship God. God for his sovereignty and at the same time in a way that I, I hope um, so it's different I'm not uh, saying it's exactly the same as whether it's Job like questioning or Habakkuk like questioning um, but there is uh, even with faith in God and his word a wrestling with how do I understand these things around me in the world like I know God is sovereign I know God is uh, the defender of the weak he uh works for the oppressed. And so to see extreme poverty, to see uh, trafficking, to see suffering in these different ways. And I think you just inevitably find yourself asking, why God, I I trust your word, but why? Why?" And so I just, I kind of expose a lot of those why questions. Uh, And even part of my point in this book and just different in format than anything I've written because I, I just want to come out from behind the, uh, the stage where I'm normally preaching and uh, preaching truths, I believe, but to to be pretty honest with questions I have and I wrestle with in light of the truths I preach and believe and uh, and to, to sort of ask those why questions before God, I hope, with humility and, uh, um, and in ways I think we can all identify with when when we look at urgent need in the world, but then let those why questions. So what I want to try to do in this book is try to uh, show how those why questions inevitably lead to what questions like, okay, so what does this mean for my life? What does this mean for how I understand my life in this world? What God has called me, what the sovereign God has called me to do in this world. So, uh, God is not just obviously sitting off distant uh, with his sovereign rule and reign amidst urgent need in the world. He is calling his people to act, to be a reflection of his character and his love and his mercy and his justice in a world like this. So, okay, what does that mean for my life? So just to wrestle through all those questions, that's part of the point of this book, not just to say, okay, here's the easy pat answer, but what are the what are the wrestling the questions that we have in our hearts when we when we come face to face with urgent need in the world and what does that mean for each of our lives for our families for our churches? I don't remember seeing this in the book, David, but I wondered, um, you know, this was very similar to I would imagine what some of those pioneer missionaries, whether they be a William Carey or Nadanaram Judson, would have seen and encountered when they would first visit places where nobody knew Jesus, where these children were dying um, in those ways. Did you find any help from any of those forerunners in in uh, missionaries as, as you were thinking about how to process uh, your beliefs with what you were seeing? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I was just actually revisiting uh, Adnarum Judson's story recently and with our church, and uh, I there's no question that is uh, while I don't dive into that specifically in the book, uh, constantly or an encouragement in my own mind and heart based on the example, whether it's 
yeah, like you said, Judson Carey, John Patton, uh, any number of others who, and, and this is the key, and this is part of what I, I, I hope the book reflects and encourages people toward is an understanding that uh, God is sovereign over all these things, even sovereign over evil in this world, and God has ordained, God has sovereignly ordained his people to be light in the middle of darkness. God has sovereignly ordained his people to bring hope in the middle of hopelessness. God has sovereignly ordained the us to be a part of spreading his love in the midst of this, which is exactly what compelled those who've gone before us to give their lives, even lose them in many cases, uh, for the spread of hope in the midst of urgent need. And so uh, that's that's the thing. I, what I The last thing I want to do in this book, and part of why I want to present these questions in the context of a trek through the Himalayas where you're just bombarded with all these needs, is to say we can't just ask these questions uh, from the confines of our comfortable offices or comfortable churches or comfortable homes. Like we've got to ask and wrestle with these questions and what they mean for our lives in the face of urgent need. Like I wish I could take multitudes of people with me into these mountains uh, for a variety of reasons. That's just not possible. And so this this book is my effort to bring as many people as possible into those mountains face to face with urgent need and to wrestle with those questions there. I remember a number of years ago when you took this trip, I know you recorded some video reflections from that. I can't remember where you were when you recorded those reflections, but they were fairly vivid in my mind. And and I was thinking as I was reading this book of, you, know, you, you do occasionally describe what you're seeing, but I just remember thinking, man, I wish there were a way to even also visualize what you were seeing, what it's like to to be thinking about God and to reading his word with, with this kind of, of backdrop and the juxtaposition between so many of the horrors that we were seeing with also the majesty of mm-hmm. God. And you, you talk about how you really encounter the majesty of God in this environment more so than the mercy of God mm-hmm. that you wondered where can that be found here in the Himalayas. And I wondered, explain against that backdrop what the role of creation is in judgment um, and also then I guess salvation. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting you say that even about the uh, images almost via video, because uh, one of the things we've done uh, that will be a part of that simulcast um, that's hosted there at TGC will be uh, a short film that we've developed to try to, so you know, take the words on the page and then just put, some images with it of uh, you know, trekking through those mountains and some of the scenes that are are most vivid. And uh, so I, I hope that that will be another level of encouragement uh, there. But to to the point, like though, and that that's part of the the goal in showing some of the majesty. Like when you're walking through those the, on those trails and you're looking around you, I mean, it's just. Psalm 19, glory of God, just being declared in creation. Romans 1, uh, just announcing his greatness, his invisible power, his uh, eternal glory being shouted from out. I mean, you're at 12,000 feet. And it's like you're in a, so that's, I mean, we were at one point that's higher than any other uh, peak in the continental U.S. And it feels like you're in a valley. Uh, there's just mountains all around. And you see the glory of God everywhere you Look, you want to take a picture. It's just majestic. But then it hits you that like for thousands of years, these mountains have been declaring the glory of God. 
but not for one second have they declared the gospel. Right. Like they haven't, the general special revelation, like they've not declared the gospel. So everybody in these mountains is continually surrounded by the, the proclamation of God's glory, but uh, they don't know how to be saved from their sins and reconciled to this God, to know this God. In fact, and they label mountains gods and mountains that are too hard to climb. They say that God doesn't want to be known. Like we have the greatest news in the world that the God who created all these mountains wants to be known. And, and it's just so it hits you. Like this is a privilege that God has given you and me, us in the church, like to proclaim the gospel, which is greater glory than what the Himalayas are proclaiming day in and day out. So let's take advantage of that privilege. Wow. Um, like you've been talking about here, this juxtaposition between the majesty and looking for the mercy stands out. And there's one particular spot here, and I think it illustrates an, an overall point that you try to make. You see this terrible deprivation, poverty, and pain, but you come to the conclusion that the spiritual bankruptcy is actually worse. Um, that it's more difficult. And maybe explain how you reached that conclusion in the context. I think it was a story that was recounted by your guide um, there, but it was a, a woman who kills herself in front of her husband and her children when the simp- when just a Christian visits the village. That's it. And she does that right in front of them. And I'm just wondering what can possibly motivate somebody to do that. But what does that mean then as we look and we we see against this fact of all these young children dying of preventable diseases that we see that kind of spiritual bankruptcy going on at the same time? Yeah. So that's that's one of the tensions that I uh, try to bring in the forefront and wrestle with throughout the, the book, this the urgent spiritual and physical needs. So I, I think, and there's, there's so many things that flow from this, just, uh, the, um, an emphasis, even in the church and in mission world on how do we address this or that physical need oftentimes devoid of the gospel. And so I just want to wrestle with, okay, what is our physical or spiritual needs? There's one more important than the other. And, uh, or are they both equally important? Like, how does that affect the way we live and, and go into places like this? Uh, and not just places like this, but places right around us, uh, where we see both of these. And so, yeah, that's, that story, just to recount it uh, quickly. It's just, uh, um, when my f- friend who, uh, leads work in these mountains who I've gotten to know really well over the last, a uh, few years um, when he first came into this one village, yeah, this this woman who he he did not know, um, had never even met, uh, goes running by him on the trails, and then when he gets a little farther up, uh, she comes out of her house and she drinks like a whole bottle of insecticide, and uh, yeah, kills herself right there in front of her uh, husband and children. And uh, but right before she drank that, she said uh, something effective. This is a this is a message for you. And it was just a picture of okay, there are physical things happening here, but there are spiritual things happening here. Uh, that I mean the the word in these mountains. Whenever the gospel is coming to some of these villages. Uh, people have said, no, like there's a lot of resistance. That's why all throughout the book, I have to change names and, uh, be really general with locations, uh, because, uh, 
Yeah, the gospel is not welcome in these mountains right now because the people believe that if you bring a news of another God in the in these mountains, so there's a lot of Buddhist teachings mixed with animism, so different gods, different spirits that need to be appeased, and uh, so you bring another God into these mountains, that's going to cause tension and strife, and so there is opposition to any news. And when you think about it, that's that's true. Like there's a reason why. These mountains, uh, people have never heard the name of Jesus. There's an adversary, a little G, God in this world, who has been blinding minds of unbelievers and who will oppose any effort to get the gospel into those mountains. And so then you start to realize, yes, there are all these physical, tangible needs you can see, but underneath the surface, there are spiritual needs. Obviously, people's greatest need is what kind of wrestle with is is the gospel is to be reconciled to God. And so how does that affect the way we think about physical needs and how do we make sure not to miss spiritual needs? So I just want to uncover some of that tension and, and think through it together all throughout the book, because I think that's a, that's a big issue even in uh, the church and our understanding of mission today. Well, I completely agree that for the audience of this book, that is an especially urgent and helpful message that you offer in this book. But it seems like for the people, the Christians especially, that you ministered to and were ministered to by uh, um, in in the mountains, they didn't feel that tension. It just seemed like they just just did it. That's right. Is that that accurate? Yes, that's kind of, that's part of the point in... uh, and sharing some different stories along the way of people who are who are doing ministry in those mountains, it's almost like it's not occurred to them that uh, that yeah, there's a tension here. Uh, I mean, they are zealous about um, about serving people, caring for people, showing mercy amidst physical needs, working whether it's to get clean water, working to get medicine, working to get education, whatever it might be, different things, uh, working to prevent trafficking. So all these things. And at the same time, like at the center of all that, they know there's a spiritual battle going on around and they are proclaiming the gospel. They're sharing Christ, even when it is costly. And so, yes, that that's part of my my hope in, in sharing some stories uh, and even wrestling with some of the questions we might be asking, showing how they're not wrestling in the same way uh, to maybe help us see a way forward that in, in each of our lives and our churches on how we how we should think about these things. One of the questions I'll often ask people, and I I don't intend to instigate doubt uh, when I ask these questions, but intend to actually uncover some of the vulnerability and just honesty and transparency that you're talking about in this book. And so just will ask people, what is the hardest truth of Christianity for you to believe? Not necessarily one that you doubt or that you reject, but one that you hold on to, but that you find yourself struggling the most with mm, that's a great question i uh so I, i'll tell you what comes to my mind when i when i hear that question first and foremost i think if if i was totally god-centered in my thinking and uh really understood how great and glorious he is and how sinful i am then I think the the answer to that question would be um, how how can he save me? How can he save any one of us? Um, it just I would be overwhelmed by his mercy and grace. And so, and I want to be that. At the same time, if I'm honest, I don't 
I think I'm much more prone to be more man centered in my thinking. And so, uh, so I, I, I would say that, and this comes out through the book, I think one of the questions I wrestle with most, if I was to summarize it, is why are some people born into earthly suffering only to then move on to eternal suffering without ever even hearing the name of Jesus? Like when I, when I see... Uh, a little girl born into extreme poverty as a result of extreme poverty um, and, and extreme poverty uh, where she's taught, uh, I mean, just taught Buddhism, for example, uh, never even hears the name of Jesus. And she's just taught that hopefully she does enough good in this life, like things are going to be better the next uh, time around reincarnation. And, uh, so, uh, um, and so she's born into that poverty with no knowledge of Jesus. And then she's sold into slavery where she's used and abused by men and, uh, in all kinds of ways. And then that's, that's her life. And then eventually she dies and she goes to an eternal hell without ever even hearing the name of Jesus. Like I, I, that's the kind of question that. I wrestle with throughout this book that I, uh, I have a really hard, hard time with. And so anyway, that, that's, that's what comes to my mind. Well, I think David, that's, um, that's one reason why I asked that question, because one thing I appreciate about your book so much is that it cuts through so many of the debates that we have today, so many of the disagreements, so many of the divisions in the church, and it takes us to the ultimate questions. And it takes us to a God who in some ways has answered, and in some ways has very clearly spoken, and yet in some ways his purposes remain mysterious to yeah. us. Um, when I'm often engaged in evangelism or apologetics, it seems like people often want to talk to me about politics, or they often want to talk to me about um, you know, justice, or I, I don't know, all kinds of sexuality, especially. And I'll often just sort of say, look, all that stuff can be, can be answered, but... Let's just go to let's just go straight to the hardest thing. <laughs> let's just go straight to the hardest thing. I, I saw this first demonstrated reading Fyodor Dostoevsky years ago in Brothers Karamazov because he does the same thing. He just goes right there and he says, "Innocent suffering for people, especially children, who never know Jesus and go straight from that into eternal hell." That's the hardest thing, and and there's no answer per se, that, that is very clearly going to persuade everyone, uh, there is the cross um, that says that whatever else we might want to think, it can't be because God doesn't care, and it can't be because God doesn't identify, and it can't be because he doesn't love. Mm. But um, I didn't know how you were going to answer that, but that tends mm. to reinforce how people often answer it, and I think it takes us, like your book does, right there to where we need to go in talking about these things. Um, you know, there's so much talk in this book as well about not only hearing, uh, but doing. And you've mm -hmm. expressed that in this interview as well. And you even wrestle with the thought of maybe I'm being called to bring my family to minister here as well. And you alluded to that earlier of well, we can't really all go, but I'm wondering what does prevent us from saying, 
this is real. These are real things that are happening here. They're not in the past. Why don't we all just get on planes or sell all our stuff, go there, and just start ministering, preaching, uh, serving, building, all that sort of stuff? Why don't? What prevents us from doing that? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> there's so many thoughts coming to my mind. Like I, uh, uh, I think it's a great question to ask and like seriously consider. Like. <laughs> Uh, I think the inevitable is like we all need to lay our lives down right now and say, God, is that what you're calling me to do? I uh, I think he's calling multitudes more of us to do that in all kinds of different ways. Uh, um, but that that's kind of that's kind of it. But not necessarily all of us. Like when I when I look at uh, at Acts 13 and I see uh, the spirit of God setting apart Paul and Barnabas from the church at Antioch. Like not everybody from the church at Antioch goes out to uh, spread the gospel where it's not yet gone. And uh, so, and and even when in Romans 15, he's saying, Paul is saying that he has an ambition to see Christ preach where he's not been named. Um, But he's not saying, so every follower of Jesus needs to go to Spain. Uh, He's saying, I'm going to Spain and I want church at Rome to help me get there. So obviously we see in scripture and we know in the world around us, God calls us in different ways, leads us in different ways to make disciples of all the nations. We all though are commanded to make disciples of all the nations. And that means not just making disciples generally around us. That means making disciples ultimately of all the ethnic, of all the people groups in the world. And so we all need to be focused on that. And then we need to seriously consider, okay, then how is God calling each of us to do that? That's one of the things I try to unpack in the book is just the different ways this plays out in different people's lives with different gifts and different skills and different opportunities. I mean, you, I, Everybody listening to this has unique opportunities, unique gifts, unique skills that can be used for the spread of the gospel and the goodness of God in a world of urgent needs. So um, so we're obviously not in danger of too many of us going when there's two billion people who have little to no knowledge of Jesus. So uh, I think uh, the Lord's calling multitudes more. I was just praying this morning in my time with the Lord. I was in my Bible reading was in Luke 10 and Luke 10 too. like ask the Lord to send out laborers. I, I pray that even from this podcast that uh, more laborers would be sent out uh, into uh, particular places where the gospel is not yet gone. But just all of us as laborers, our eyes open to uh, uh, the ways our lives can count for his glory in a world of urgent need. And uh, and I I. That's at the end of the book. I just try to give a challenge toward that end. Like, let's let's not uh, sit back and waste time thinking about just uh, and and hesitating on what God might be leading us to do. Let's act now. Let's let's work now. Like we have a little bit of time and like people in the Himalayas, for example, only have a little bit of time. Last question for you. David, um, this trip, as we've mentioned a few times, has happened several years ago. How has your life changed since then? Hmm. Well, uh, I share in the in the book just how this uh, is what triggered. Um, and you mentioned earlier, I was praying through. Okay, God, is this? Are you are you leading me, and my family, to come to these mountains? And I started wrestling through that. It was actually. Um, as a result of wrestling through that, and while I was wrestling through that, and was actually exploring, um, actively exploring 
what that would look like to move there. Uh, that's when the IMB uh, International Mission Board came and uh, approached me about potentially leading there. Uh, to be honest, my first impulse was I want to go uh, and live among the unreached. But then just in my time and fasting and praying and uh, seeking the Lord over <clears throat> that decision in the coming months, uh, just, yeah, wrestle with why would I be willing to go and not be willing to be in a position to hopefully shepherd, mobilize multitudes more to go. And so uh, anyway, the Lord ended up leading uh, me us to the International Mission Board. Uh, and then from that, uh, well, there's I could go on and on and on just how the Lord is directed even now to where I am in uh, Metro Washington, D.C., uh, in a church where there's over 100 nations represented. And so the opportunities for reaching the nations right here and going to the nations from here uh, and the way this is playing out and some things we're developing with Radical right now to focus on the unreached. So I could go on and on, but I think my my point, even in sharing that in the book, is not that everybody who comes face to face with their need, okay, then needs to lead an international mission organization or needs to pastor this church or do this or that, but that that that's the beauty. God has called us in all kinds of different ways. He will lead us. He will guide us. He wants our lives to uh yeah, count for his glory in a world of urgent need as, as we're looking to him, trusting in him. He will lead us and guide us, I think, in ways we never would have planned or imagined, but it will be so much better, uh, eternally better than what we'd have planned or imagined. I guess it wasn't my last question, David. False alarm. <laughs> I've got a different different question. Okay. It seems like, especially when you talk about McLean there and you talk about 100 nations there, one of the things you, you, you discuss is just this globalized world that we live in now, um, the movement of peoples all mm. around the world, and even just the ability that you have to be able to visit this place um, and then to be able to come home. It seems like if, if generations of faithful believers before us, David, had been praying for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, they would have envisioned something like our day. Mm. The unprecedented global uh, digital communication, the the cost and, and relative ease of international travel, the movements and displacement of people, uh, refugee resettlements, uh, especially in the West, um, mm. and even in the United States, in our own neighborhoods where they are surrounded by gospel-believing and preaching churches, I think some of our, our our forefathers and mothers in the faith would have been astounded by God's faithfulness to answer those prayers, and yet it doesn't necessarily seem that's how all the church, maybe at least in America, sees it. They, they mm. actually see it as something of a threat mm. to them. So I guess I wonder, in that sense, what needs to change? Uh, yes, yes, yes. God, I'm like, God, open our eyes to the grace you've given us uh like that we've been given to steward in so many different ways and all the ways you mentioned like the opportunities we have to go uh like it took we mentioned earlier judson it took him 114 days to sail to india on his way to myanmar like we can get there in like 24 36 hours that that's unheard of unthought of obviously a uh, a couple of centuries ago that we have the privilege and opportunity to do right now. Like we can go 
uh, in so many different places in the world through so many different means, like the globalization of the marketplace today that God has designed. Like talk about God's sovereignty. He's designed all this for the spread of his glory and his grace in the world. So we have opportunities to go. And just like you said, and then he's even bringing the nations to us, like the places where many times it's hardest to reach with the gospel. You think about uh, Somalia or, uh, yeah, just remote places in West Africa. And then I, I uh, and God's bringing people to us, like right outside our doorstep. I was just a couple of days ago, uh, actually at the border with uh, U.S. and Mexico and uh, just seeing so, some of the different nations. It's It's baffling how people I was talking with from West Africa have made it to that spot in, uh, in Mexico. And it was so encouraging talking to, uh, there's one Mexican pastor who, who basically said, uh, I, I never could have imagined, uh, planting a church among this people group, but God's brought them to me and he has housed them. He basically turned his, uh, church building. They've turned their church building, a small church into a shelter for these refugees fleeing and, uh, and fleeing hardship and persecution in their country. God's brought, and he is, he's like smiling. He's like, I planted a church among this people group. Like I never could have imagined that God brought them here. We just decided we weren't going to ignore the refugees around us. We're going to love them. And like, what a gift that God has brought, uh, yeah, different people from like Muslims to me to hear the gospel. Like it's, it's amazing. And so, uh, God opened our eyes. Uh, to the unique time and place he's put us in, the unique opportunities we have, and God help us to be found faithful with our stewardship of grace that uh, and these opportunities he's put right in front of us and far from us that we have an opportunity to join in what he's doing. We pray and pray and pray for so many years for for people to go and that we would be perhaps motivated ourselves to go, and the Lord says, well, even, even if you have disobeyed and you've not gone, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to send them to you. I'm going to make this as easy as, easy as possible. And right. even, even from these, the two-thirds world, even from the 1040 window, right to your own neighborhoods. Um, what an amazing way when we discern, just like the psalmist says in uh, Asaph in Psalm 73, what a difference it makes when we discern things, not from the perspective of the world, but from the perspective of God um, in his house and from his throne. Uh, well, I would imagine and, and hope, David, that the people listening to this will be um, moved themselves not only to hear and to believe, but then also uh, to go. The book we've been talking about with David Platt, Something Needs to Change. A Call to Make Your Life Count in a World of Urgent Need, published by Multnomah. And again, love to encourage you to join us on September 18 for a simulcast with David. Visit tgc.org slash something needs to change. David, thank you for joining me on the Gospel Coalition podcast. Thanks, Colin. You've been listening to the Gospel Coalition podcast. For more gospel-centered resources, visit thegospelcoalition.org. Support for this podcast comes from listeners like you. Learn more and join us at tgc.org donate.